Hey everybody, this is Skip Cherry Holmes. Please join me every week on my brand new podcast, Hey Everybody, sponsored by Kentucky Grass Life. We'll be talking about anything and everything, music, food, fitness, sports, inspiration, you name it. Check out and share Hey Everybody on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hey Everybody PC. And don't forget to subscribe when you join me. Welcome to Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast, field interviews with the best in bluegrass. Skip Cherry Holmes now plays in the powerhouse North Carolina-based outfit Sideline, which also has a family connection for him. Here in part two of Skip's conversation with Daniel Mullins, hear the continuation of Skip's journey with his family band Cherry Holmes, the conclusion of that band, the struggle to survive outside of music, and his inevitable return to playing full-time alongside his father-in-law, the celebrated banjo player Steve Dilling. Enjoy part two of this interview with accomplished artist Skip Cherry Holmes. When did you personally, you know, you, you mentioned that you guys rehearsed a lot individually and as a group, and you guys jammed all the time and practiced all the time as a family. But when did you personally get serious and invested in in music on a personal level, whether it's your guitar work or your singing or just in general? When did you decide, okay, this is something that I want to do, not just something that we do because you didn't know any other way. I'd have to say that I probably wasn't, it wasn't until I was probably closer to 15 or 16 before I really even started to think that I had a piece of my own to offer. Um, Not to say that, that I didn't at that point, but I didn't recognize it. And still to this day, I, I, I still have my my doubts about you know my validity or or whether or not anybody really gives a you know <laughs> cares about what it is that I do because I'm just up there doing what I do. But I'd say when I, about the time I was about fifteen or sixteen was when I started to to feel the responsibility of what I had to offer to our music and our sound. And how it wasn't just something I could just get up there and and kind of space out and and jam. That I had a purpose. And I had a part that I needed to be up on. Otherwise, I was letting everybody else down. And from that point stemmed the realization that I had a connection with what I did. I had a personal, you know, something to to offer. Um, It wasn't much being... 15 or 16 years old and you know I hadn't experienced a whole lot for everything I had experienced um but as the years went on and still continue to go on that connection gets deeper and the dependency or the the responsibility I should say um is more personal um because not only now do I have a band that the other five members depend on my energy and my drive and my 
aggression and what I bring to the to the stage every night. But I've got a wife and child at home that depend on me getting out here and doing the absolute best that I can so that I can support the house that yeah. that they live in. Um, so it's a dual purpose dependency. And me, I'm, I'm one of those that sits there thinking, well, I, you know, I could care less as far as myself is concerned. But all of these other people are relying on me and depending on me, and I don't want to let them down. And I pour that into the music itself. I don't let it stop with just the technical side of it. It it drives my excitement. It drives my emotions. It drives, you know, the, the severity with you know, the way that I look at what we do and how serious I take it and how serious I want other people to take it. And, and but it's, it, it, it definitely affects my dedication in a positive way. It makes me want to push harder and me pushing harder makes these guys want to push harder they push harder makes me want to push harder and just and that's that's the the way that I you know I just I get ramped up about a show and then and then we come off stage and for the next several hours I'm just like oh my gosh that was so cool even though I just did it last night and the night before and the night before and the night before it's still so cool you know cuz that's where that that excitement comes from how old were you when Cherry Holmes as a family decided that it was a it was time for everyone to go their own way um musically speaking let me think about it for a second and this is after you guys have won a shelf of awards nominated for a handful of grammys you know on top of the world and i can still remember where i was when I get the tweet from Bluegrass today that Cherry Holmes is calling it quits. And yeah. it was a shock to the to the whole Bluegrass and acoustic music world, but I'm sure there was a lot of prayers and a lot of thought that went into that decision. Can, can you talk about yeah, yeah. Um, what went into that decision? Um, I was 20. I'm 20 years old. Um, and I... We were touring a lot, a whole lot, and my uh, my little sister Molly had just graduated high school, and she had moved out and living in an apartment on her own. And my folks uh, kind of were like, "Well, look, you know, the nest is empty." We've already retired. My dad was like, I've already retired from one full-time job. And I'm, you know, let's see, if I was 20, he had just turned 60. He's like, it's time to slow down a little bit. My, uh, my brother, he, uh, he had gotten engaged. I had gotten engaged. Um, he was going to get married. Um. See, uh, she'd been seeing somebody, but I don't, I, they weren't quite as serious. I, of course, she ended up marrying him. Um, they're still married, and, and they have two little girls and a little boy on the way. Um, 
but I, I guess what I'm trying to get out is all of us had found an identity in adulthood and, and, um, our own lives. And my folks at the same time were kind of like, well, you know. you, you had found life paths that weren't connected to the family band. Right. And my, uh, my folks were, were like, well, now maybe it's time for us to figure that out because, you know, we, we've had, even before the band, we had a house full of kids and jobs and homeschooling and all that kind of stuff. So it was one of those where it was like, well, maybe it's time to move on, do something different. Everybody have a chance to, to, to figure out who they are and what they want to do. And so, yeah, you're right. After a lot of prayer, a lot of thought and, and, uh, and it was tough because we were up against, a, a, a another contract with, um, with Skaggs family records for a fourth record. And if you listen to that record, you hear some darker tones. You yeah. hear some more emotional and, and deeper music. Cause uh, you know, quite honestly, you know, we, we had already started toying with the discussions about things being over. And, and so everybody was kind of in a deeper place and darker place. Um, but not, it was bittersweet though, because yeah. it was like, well, you know, we're, we're still together. It was a swan as, song, uh, but you kind of knew, oh, this is going to be our last statement, our, our farewell. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, after the record came out and then, you know, we went through all the publicity and all that stuff and. And we had to really kind of figure out what we were going to do because we had shows booked for the year 2011, and you know, but we didn't want to keep booking shows um, if we weren't going to continue. And and uh, long story short, you know, we we tried to be strategic yet again about when we announced that we were going to be done, uh, but we had all known months and months and months ahead of time. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people had questions, but there was only one guy um, who approached me because he had noticed we hadn't updated our schedule on our website. And we were the band that worked all the time. So that really stood out. But I wasn't really at liberty to when say When you anything. go from having a website that's got... 230 yeah. shows to a few dozen mm-hmm. it kind of raises some eyebrows yeah so uh, i remember just kind of giving him the song and dance a little bit and i mean i felt bad to do it but we just couldn't we weren't ready to talk about it yet and we hadn't even really 100 percent given given into that concept because this was something we'd done at that point it was 13 years we'd been doing it and, uh, man, we just, uh, you know, after we felt like it was the appropriate time, we, we, uh, went ahead. I remember I sent out, uh, that Facebook message, um, and then I turned my phone off because I knew the minute it went out, 
I'd get barraged with calls and texts and messages and comments and a whole lot of stuff, and I just really did not want to, nor don't think I had the mental capacity to process it all and deal with it. You you mentioned that that's something you had done since you were, you, you know, for 13 years. Here you are, 20, engaged, and your main source of, your only source of income is about to come to a screeching halt. How did, how did you deal with that on a personal level? Um, I fought it kicking and screaming. I did. I, uh, when all of these discussions were going on, that was my stance. I was like, I mean, it was a selfish stance because quite honestly, I'm speaking for one person among six. And, uh, but I was like, look, I've got to know where my paycheck's coming from. I've got to, you know, I, I don't have any experience anywhere else. That's the only thing you knew the how only to do thing I knew was how play to do. the guitar. Was play guitar and entertain. I was scared to death. And when we, you know, basically put it to a vote, and the vote was that we were going to stop, I flipped out. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through. I had no idea, you know. Um, it definitely showed me what I was made of, though, because I had to figure something out. And I did, and, and it's all worked out just fine. But um, at the time, I was scared to death, not knowing what to do. But, um, I ended up, uh, when we, whenever we did stop playing, um, I had, obviously, because I did know, um, it gave me some time to kind of search out my options. And, uh, I got a job working construction for about a year or so. And then I got a job, uh, working as a part-time sales associate for a retail company and then uh whenever I got married I was doing that and I worked at a grocery store and I I basically was doing anything I could doing whatever you could living. make ends meet yeah um the people I worked for with no experience no college degree oh yeah other than I played a lot with my family yeah. Yeah, and when when uh you fill out an application and all of your work references are family members, they don't look good on that either. Yeah. Cuz I mean your family's going to say something good about you and they don't want to hear from your family. They want to hear from from people who aren't related to you. Uh but I uh you know, I again I took advantage of opportunities and I applied myself. And gave it everything I had. And there was not every time that it worked out. And the times that it didn't work out, it wasn't supposed to work out, I guess. Um, the places where I excelled um, let me know that that's where I was supposed to be at the time. And I kept on kept on keeping on. And uh, the, the clothing store that I worked at, I started there literally as a holiday... Um, part-time associate ended up working there for four and a half years I was manager 
for a while and then and then the whole transition came in where it was like now music started picking back up in my yeah, life you you went from one musical family and and married into another um with your father-in-law steve dilling and your lovely bride stephanie mm-hmm. um when the opportunities started to present themselves to make music again and now instead of being with your dad, it's with your father-in-law. What was that like? Um, well, you know, sideline when it first started, Steve was still playing with third time out, and uh, as Justin Haynes, uh, Daryl Webb, and then Jason was playing with Mountain Heart, and uh, I'd actually been playing with uh, Lou Reed in Carolina for a while so it was a part-time gig for all of us and so it i mean it's pretty laid back show up jam for a couple hours everybody split up the money go home and i mean it was just fun we usually did it in december low pressure just trying to find some christmas work um when things started progressing, building up, getting more serious, and, and things started getting a little bit more serious, um, we, you know, we still kind of treated things, you know, everybody discussed everything together and and all of that. And uh, Steve, you know, he'd gone through some major league health stuff. And so... The fact that I, you know, I was working with him, and he was working with me, you know, he he was the mouthpiece. He was the one to to set a lot of the shows up at the time, and and um, used his connections with Third Time Out because he he left Third Time Out, but you know, still wanted to play a little bit. So he'd call this promoter and that promoter and try to lock some stuff in. But then as time went on, he he got to where he couldn't drive. He, you know, legally blind, um, had a lot of, you know, different major league health things. And um, so I enjoyed the work, and he needed a way to get there. So it that that whole match was totally un, unforeseen. I mean... I never thought that that would be the scenario we would be in, but it worked out. And, um, you know, ever since then, as things have grown, we're technically me and Steve and Jason are business partners. We, we, all three of us own the business sideline and, uh, make decisions, you know, with that, that vote, um, between the three of us. And, and, uh, so, it, I mean, it is a different, a different monster, um, being in business with your father-in-law versus, um, basically being employed by your dad, which is yeah. what I was with my family. Um, and at the time, you know, I had no business sense yeah. at all. Cause so. you were all of 10. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm no, I had no, no business being in the business, yeah. um, you know, my, my parents had great business heads and, uh, the decisions they made were the decisions we followed and that was totally fine. Um, this is a different setup. 
Women love men who care about their hair, and nothing makes a man's hair look better than Samson's hair care. Hi, I'm Santana Bell, and let me tell you, Daniel Mullins' hair was a mess before he started using Samson's. Trust me, I'm his girlfriend, but Samson's has made a world of difference. It holds all day. Even after a day of riding roller coasters, his hair still looked great. I couldn't believe it. But even with the all-day hold, I could still easily run my fingers through his hair without it feeling stiff or greasy. But the best part is the smell. It's not over powering, but it gives off a distinctive, pleasant aroma that lasts all day. Honestly, a man could stop wearing cologne as long as he wore Samson's. It smells that good. Head to samsonshaircare.com to get some hair pomade for the man in your life. Neither of you will be disappointed. Use code bluegrass at checkout to save 10%. That's samsonshaircare.com, code bluegrass to receive 10% off. samsonshaircare.com, code bluegrass. You spoke earlier of um, some things that you learned from your from watching your father. What are some things that you've learned um, from watching your father-in-law and having such a close relationship with him? Um, professionally or personally? Both. Both. Well, honestly, the <laughs> I, I asked that question, but it was kind of a stupid question to ask because he's the same professionally and personally. Um, he's... He's very much a people person. He's got a heart bigger than the state of Texas. Um, his parents are the same way. Uh, he, you know, give you the shirt off their back, do anything to help you, uh, give you the time of day, any day of the week. And that's why people love him so much. And that's a huge piece of why this band has gone where it's gone, is that lesson of you know get out here and and mingle with the people let them know how much they mean to you create personal relationships and develop them and and they'll follow you forever and not that you're doing it because you're trying to gain followers it's a genuine feeling you want he wants to know these people he wants to 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 sit down and, and have a meal with them and, and get to know them personally. But because of that, even the visibility, you go out into the campground and you're playing cornhole with some folks, uh, They uh, anybody walking by remembers that. They know that you're a real person. You're not somebody that just sits on a bus waiting for showtime. How does uh, the lesson that, that Steve's taught you about Develop, cultivating those relationships and getting out and being actively involved with your fans and, as you said, not sitting on the bus waiting for, for showtime. How does that help you keep this whole world in a proper perspective? Um, well, the first thing you have to have is humility. It doesn't matter where you think you're going. You wouldn't get there without the support. And that goes from everything from home support and your wife and your family all the way to the people who pay money to sit out there and watch you. It's easy to to look at you know what you do as a musician. It's exhausting. It's so exhausting. You get out here and it's and it's not the, the, the set of music you play. It's the booking 
the setting up for that show, the driving to get there, the night after night after night after night, knowing that you have to get up there and, and give it everything you've got. First of all, all of that kind of lets you know how much you love it. Because if you don't love it, why beat yourself up for it? It's so much easier to do something that you don't love and stay home and do it. Um, but you wouldn't, it wouldn't matter how much you do any of that stuff without the people. Um, there's so much about bluegrass that's about the accessibility and it's about the personal connection. And, and I'm not going to lie. There, there are parts of that that make it very difficult. Um, but overall, that's what makes the difference in this music. That's, you treat your fans good. You treat, treat them the way that they deserve to be treated and they'll follow you forever. And, um, when you feel that connection, you really don't have a desire to just sit on the bus all day because you're anxious to get out there and be with these people. So you look forward to it and you pull in, get parked and Hey, let's get out here. Even if I've been riding all night, still going to get out here and see these people. Cause you know, I see them any, any, anything from once a week to once a year. Um, but you never know when's going to be the last time. So if they mean that much to you, you get out there and, and find them and hang out with them. And, uh, giving it your all on stage and, and you do that, you know, for the fans and for the audience, make sure they enjoy the show, giving it your all to your fans off stage and being there for them can mean just as much. Yeah, it can. Um, because you can have an off night on stage, but if your fans still feel like they're valued as much as they were anytime the show was amazing, you can do no wrong. Um, you can make all the mistakes you want to. Music's not perfect. Live music's not perfect. Um, nor should it be. If it's perfect, it's sterile. If it's sterile, there's no emotion in it. And if there's no emotion in it, then all it is is notes. And you can hear notes coming out of a, a pitch pipe if you want to. Or listen to a CD that's been quantized and perfect. That's not what this is about, and that's not what we do it for. Um, but all that being said, on your most imperfect days, your fans will still be behind you. And it makes you want to do better. It makes you want to work harder. You know what they came to expect. And you want to do whatever it takes to give them that. Um, because it's, that's what they deserve. And it's easy, especially on a long run. You get in a, a really grueling tour. We do this, we've done this, um, Canadian tour a couple of times and it's 11 shows and 11 nights across Ontario. It's brutal. It's con it's it's That's exhausting, yeah. It is. Um it's a very much for the conditioned musician. And there's no I mean, any spare time you might have is spent resting. 
but at the same time you you've got to remember that the the audience you played for last night's not the same audience you're playing for tonight the this audience tonight still deserves the same energy the same excitement and the same top notch show that you have promised them as last night's did when you were fresher when you were more rested so you have to take that into consideration and then when you get off stage and you go to the table or you know if if it's a festival setting you go into the campground or or um you know whatever it is that you're going to do you give them still that same that same side that you know that they were depending on when you got there um the downsides to that are that when you are dealing with real life issues you can't take that to the stage really you know it's it's really not something you can necessarily take on the bus um you've got to maintain a professionalism um to keep the morale of the band up and therefore keep the shows up that means you got to swallow a whole lot um that's not always the easiest thing to do uh you know you dealing with you know, different family members and health issues and this, that, and the other thing. It's still, it's not what these people came here for. You've got to, you know, if you, if you get with them on a personal level, they'll, they're definitely understanding and supportive of that. But as far as, you know, your show and, and what you do on stage and all of that, you have to, to, to put all of that aside and, and push forward. Um, and there are times when, you know, for example, I was actually talking not too long ago about this with somebody who asked me a similar question regarding the accessibility with, with the audience. And, um, I said, you know, it can be taken to an, uh, unusual level. Sometimes people seem to feel that because they um they have access to you that they can kind of say whatever they want to say what have what have been some of your favorite examples of people assuming that they were within their right to share their opinion when it's not necessary or maybe wanted uh well you you you've got some of them that'll that'll come up and and make an offhanded comment about thinking that you put on some weight, or uh, you know, are you, you look kind of rough today. Are you uh, blah 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 blah? And 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 you're just like, and it comes from such a sincere place that you. <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of times it it does, but at the same time, it's like you know, you don't know what what kind of what kind of day you know I'm having, or you know whatever the case is, and coming up and making a comment about my appearance or you know whatever the case is um it may not be what i need to hear right now saying you look pretty rough and you were thinking you looked pretty good will cut you down to size real quick yeah yeah. (laughs) um i also have enjoyed 
<laughs> the uh, the the casual remarks regarding the dissatisfaction with the music that my family ended up playing over time, and uh, they're they're not very delicate about the dissatisfaction they express. Um, and and I always think it's it's so funny when you get the comments like, "Well, it's good to see you that you're back in bluegrass." And it's just, it's, it's, it's a very strange comment to me. It's like, I didn't r realize that there was some kind of, um, you know, some kind of prodigal son preconceived notion here of, of me having strayed away and done something I wasn't supposed to do. And now I've come back to where I'm supposed to be. And now I'm accepted, um... I don't think that they mean it that way, but the way that they present it, it just, sometimes it, it can be a little off-putting and, and make you feel like, well, I mean, uh, it's not something I would I would necessarily just say to anybody else. Um, even, you know, some of, some of my good friends, you know, sometimes you just need to support them. And, um, you know... You can't assume that you know everything, and if, if for some reason they do fall, be there to help pick them up. But by no means is it necessary to go out of your way to let somebody know how unhappy you are with the decision they made with their own life or their own career or whatever it is, um, just because you didn't like it. Uh, you know, that's tough. That's, and and that's, that's a downside to a lot of all of this it's, it makes it hard to 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 flip the coin between being accessible and and being out there with your people and and hoping that maybe they'll have a little bit of a a two-way street of respect you know i i i try to treat as many people with respect as i come across and and i would hope that somebody would treat me with the same you know so Do you ever feel like the hustle and bustle of life keeps you from accomplishing your goals and staying on track? Have you ever felt exhausted at the end of the day, but yet feel like you've accomplished nothing? Help focus on your goals and stay on track with a self-journal from Best Self Co. Whether you're starting your own business, a college student, or you're just feeling overwhelmed with day-to-day -day life, the self-journal is packed with tools to help you get more done. With features including daily planning, a 13-week roadmap for your goals, inspirational quotes, daily and weekly habit tracking, and a place to record morning and evening gratitude. Best Self Co. offers a line of productivity tools to help you accomplish more. Check out all of their products at bestself.co. Use code BLUEGRASS to save 15% off of your first purchase. That's bestself.co, code BLUEGRASS to save 15% off your first purchase. Your musical journey has had so many twists and turns, so many ups and downs, and the music that you've made really has run the gamut, both the music with Sideline and with Cherry Holmes. It's just all over the place the the you've kind of covered the whole big tent and then some in bluegrass with with what with the music that you've been a part of what about bluegrass music and all its intricacies and all its shades um 
still appeals to you and excites you after all this time? Because you've seen it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I have to say that, I mean, bluegrass, just like any other genre of music, uh, has this, you know, originality that, um, is, it just makes it unique. Um, that's why they divide these things into genres. You know, there's just something, you know, somebody put this grouping of notes or this grouping of chords or whatever it is together because that's how they felt in that moment and that's how they felt was appropriate to the lyric that they put together or whatever it is. Um, and I always find that very appealing in any music um, because when you uh, when you really start digging deep into the origins of any kind of music, you realize it had to start somewhere. And a lot of times it started with somebody's heart. It started with somebody's just love for what they did and trying to find a way to take that love and make a tangible song out of it. And that's so cool to me. Um, uh, as Bluegrass has, has gone through its changes, um, it, it seems, as especially as of lately, that it is trying to find a way to expand on its own, you know, horizons, so to speak, uh, without losing that originality. Uh, Bluegrass is one of the last musics that is fought for daily to stay in its preserved original form. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of musics that, that, uh, have died that way. Um, but I think that bluegrass is finding a way to, to bring people in through other versions of itself, but then always pointing to the originality, or the, the origin, I should say, of the music. And the history is very prominent. The history is just as prominent as the music itself. Um, because it's so such a fresh... Um, perspective. Um, you know, you really think about it. The whole Bill Monroe and and Charlie Monroe and all of that was you know, right at a hundred years ago. And um, to have a music that has not really done too much of a shakeup in a hundred years is a is unheard of. Your pop music hundred years ago, more popular music a hundred years ago versus pop music now has taken a change every decade, just about. Same with rock and same with, with a lot of musics. Um, so, uh, the, the, um, the uniqueness of that whole existence is, is very appealing to me. Um, but I do think it's important for the music to survive and for the music to survive, it's going to take some expanding and, uh, it's going to be growing pains. There are going to be a lot of people who fight it and there are going to be a lot of people who don't understand it. But I think by the, by the time everything kind of comes around, they'll realize that anybody who's brought into bluegrass by a, 
uh, a more contemporary form will find their way back to the origins and find their way back to the Flattened Scruggs and Stanley Brothers era and and um, the Bluegrass Boys and Jimmy Martin and all that because, like I said, the history of bluegrass music is just as important as the music itself. And that's very unusual for music. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this has been great. Hi, guys. It's Adam from Samson's Hair Care here. I wanted to let you know that when you use the code BLUEGRASS on our website, samsonshaircare.com, BLUEGRASS will save you 10% and go to support this wonderful podcast, The Walls of Time, sharing the history and stories of bluegrass. Part two of our conversation with the Grammy-nominated Skip Cherry Holmes. Of course, he used to work with his family band, the Cherry Holmes family, and now part of Sideline, which has a familial connection as well. That's right. We uh, get into here the uh, end of the Cherry Holmes band, and Skip uh, gets real about talking about uh, uh, basically fear of the unknown, what he had to do to get by and make ends meet uh, after having almost his entire life uh, in the music, in the music business. And I thought it was really great for him to, uh, be honest and vulnerable in the sense that he talked about, uh, how hard that was for him and seeing him do whatever it took to get by, you know, get side jobs, uh, work in retail, that kind of thing. And, um, eventually getting back, uh, into music with a fantastic group he works with now, uh, the very powerful sideline bluegrass band. Now, Ty, I know you work with Sideline. You're you are a member of the Mountain Home Records label that Sideline's on. What about Sideline drew you to wanting to work with them? Well, Sideline's one of those groups that just reminds you of why you love bluegrass. Uh, the messaging in the songs, uh, the power of the arrangements, the power of the playing and the musicianship. I mean, you've got some big heavy hitters in there. You've got Jason Moore, one of the best bass players in the business. You've got Steve Dilling, one of the kings of North Carolina, you know, mashy banjo picking. And uh, of course, Skip Cherry Holmes still has that super powerful uh, guitar, uh, both rhythm and uh, flat picking style. And all those guys together and the different uh, folks that have been in that band since we've been working with them have always made for a great combination of one top notch bluegrass group. Uh, I remember one uh, when we first started seeing those guys, one of my uh, co workers, actually one of the folks that's one of the owners of uh, Mountain Home uh, was watching me. He goes, wow, the, the power of these guys and the finesse. It just reminds me of when I first saw the, uh, the Tony Rice unit, you know, 20 years ago. I thought that was a great uh, compliment and powerful comparison there. So, yeah, um, I don't mind bragging on those boys a little bit. I'm privileged and honored to work with them over at Mountain Home. They're great. And they bring such a, uh, a rock star party feel to any stage. Um, I've uh, been a part of several mosh pits, bona fide mosh pits at bluegrass festivals when Sideline takes the stage, especially when they play it at Sam Jam 
Oh, I've seen him uh, <laughs> jump off. Of course, Skip is notorious for jumping off the stage. Uh, you never know what's going to happen when Sideline uh, plays at any bluegrass festival or bluegrass venue. Uh, they always aim to please. And, and they're one of those bands that if you've got a friend that has never really been into bluegrass, you could take them to see Sideline and they would have fun, guaranteed, no question about it. Because they have a, it's like seeing a rock show, uh, but it's all like hardcore in your face bluegrass. It's great. Yeah, if you want a taste of what modern new bluegrass groups sound like, go see, go check those guys out. Now, Skip actually shared with me uh, some brand new news. Skip is starting a podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah, the podcast called Hey Everybody. Skip's thoughts on all sorts of different things. Music, business, current issues, food. He's a huge food guy. A ton of fun. So be sure to check out Hey Everybody with Skip Cherry Holmes. Wherever you enjoy podcasts, Skip's a, a, a great friend of ours. It's been fun having him on the podcast for the past two episodes. So be sure to go check out his podcast. When you go check out his podcast, be sure to that you're subscribed to the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Uh, rating and reviews are much appreciated. And if you could uh, spread the news about our podcast and Skip's podcast uh, with friends and family you think may enjoy it, we'd be much obliged. Yeah, looking forward to hearing what Skip's got to say about all things relative in life and uh, more about his journey and his interests. And looking forward to the next episode of Walls of Time, which is what's the next? What's coming up in our lineup for next week, Daniel? Our next episode is a real bluegrass veteran, Larry Stevenson. He's worked with all sorts of cats. Bill Harrell, the Bluegrass Cardinals. Of course, he's had his own bluegrass band for the past three decades. Larry's a real veteran and a super nice guy. And it was a ton of fun catching up with him at Spigma in 2020. That's great. I'm sure everybody's looking forward to that. And hope everybody will be tuning in on the next episode of walls of time in the meantime you can check out our extended playlist that we put up on spotify and also follow us on facebook and instagram at walls of time podcast and twitter at walls of time pod how else can they support us daniel you can go to walls of time podcast.com and buy your official walls of time podcast t-shirts they're golden yellow filled with ancient tones and uh, we'd be much obliged they support uh, keeping this podcast going be sure to listen and subscribe on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify stitcher and more walls of time podcast.com for more info until next time we sit down with larry stevenson thanks for listening walls of time bluegrass podcast is produced by ty gilpin and daniel mullins edited by daniel mullins and is a production of blue poncho media visit walls of time podcast.com for more information